everyone and welcome to NTI's very first Japan real estate property investment podcast. We are currently your first and only source of regular audio information about the world's second biggest property investment market. We're going to try and keep these podcasts to about 15 minutes long and aim to release one of them every week or two. A little bit about myself. My name is Ziv Nakajima Magen. I'm Israeli-Australian, and I've been living in Japan for about five years now, going in and out of the country, doing business here for about a decade or so before that. And I'm a partner and executive manager here at NTI, Nippon Tradings International. What we do is essentially represent foreign investors in every step of their portfolio life cycle, from market research, due diligence, making offers, conducting negotiations, the purchase process itself, of course, and ongoing management. We also assist with exits and sales when required. Generally speaking, we're a one-stop shop for property investors who are living anywhere in the world and are interested in establishing and profiting from a Japanese real estate property investment portfolio. We're going to be discussing various aspects of the Japanese property market and the general economy here, outline the steps involved in buying, selling and managing your investments here. And obviously answer a whole lot of questions you may have been wondering about, but had no one to ask. But before all of that, for our very first installment in this series, we're going to be answering the very first question that most would-be investors ask themselves. Namely, why Japan? Why would anyone invest here? Um, obviously, for the average non-Japanese, there is a huge language and cultural barrier. Um, it's quite distant for those of us not living in the Asia-Pacific region. And it seems as if, on the surface at least, there are way better and more convenient options out there. Not to mention the fact that Japan must be very, very expensive. Now, this perception of the country, at least to those who haven't had much exposure to it, is understandable. However, it is largely incorrect. Japan is not yet another Asian country. Its character is unique in many, many ways. And the character of its residents is probably a lot more similar to Northern Europeans, say Germans, Swiss or Austrians, than it is to the rest of their Asian neighbors. The Japanese are notoriously straight and as by the book as one can be. They are extremely polite, proper manners oriented. The business environment is strictly regulated and there is very little, if any, under-the-table dealings as you'd find in many other countries. Uh, corruption, while it does exist, is very, very rare here, and the chances of a foreign investor being swindled or lied to or taken advantage of are very, very close to none. Now, before we delve more deeply into the main attractions of the Japanese market, um, just a few words about the country and its economy. Japan uh, is not one of the world's biggest countries by population size, it's currently at about 127 million or so, but it is the world's third largest economy by nominal GDP, that's gross domestic product. So second only to the USA and China, and slightly in the lead over the next entry in the list, which is Germany. It's also, as I've mentioned earlier, the world's second biggest property investment market by transaction volumes. So again, second only to the USA and closely competing with the UK, which is currently third place in that list. So just to briefly cover the pros and cons of investing in real estate property here. Um, first and foremost, affordability. 
Japan, as some of you may know, has been in deflation for over two decades, in between the early 90s to 2012, when that cycle bottomed out. So while the image of expensive Japan and specifically expensive Tokyo was true back in the 80s, and while that image has persisted to some degree, property prices have actually gone down to less than half of what they were at the peak of that last bubble. 2012 to 2016 or so, we've seen that trend reverse. So property prices are now just over a half or around 60% of what they were at their 90s peak, but they are still very, very affordable. So to talk some numbers, there are large cities in Japan with a population of say two or three million people where you can still get properties at around two million Japanese yen which in today's terms is just under 18,000 US dollars. That's 18,18. The price will get you a studio or a one-bedroom apartment in a good part of the city, in most cases with a tenant already in place so that you start making money on it from day one. Now, naturally, this affordability translates directly into diversity and into an ability to hedge your investment, which is just not possible in other countries. So if we take some of the world's most popular property investment destinations, let's say places like Australia, Canada, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, for the price of just one property in one of those hotspots, you'll most likely be able to buy anywhere between 8 to 15 properties here in Japan. What this means is that not only can you spread out your investment over all sorts of socio-economic geographic regions, um, capital growth-oriented spots or high-yield-oriented locations, etc. But you're also much better protected from loss of income. Since if you've purchased one or two properties in one of those expensive places, you stand to lose 50 or 100% of your income when a tenant moves out. In fact, you're probably slipping into loss territory since there are still building fees, insurance premiums, etc. that need to be paid even when a property is vacant. Whereas if you've invested in 8 or 10 or 12 properties with those same funds, you're only going to be down 12 or 10 or 8% from your income stream if and when a tenant moves out on you, which is obviously a much better position to be in. Another big advantage of buying real estate property investments in Japan, which is also due to those two decades of price drops, is the rental returns. Since property purchase prices are far more volatile than rent prices, simply because it takes far longer for macroeconomic changes to trickle down to the micro level of salaries and rents, as a result, the rental return here is very high. If we're talking about net pre-tax, meaning including all of your purchase and annual running costs, but not including annual taxes and unknowns like vacancies or maintenance, repairs, renovations, etc., you can still get returns as high as 9 or 10% net pre-tax in many large cities around the country. So again, compared with some of those investment hotspots like Canada or Australia, where you'd make, say, 2 or 3 or 4% net pre-tax at most on your rental income, and then you'd have to wait for capital growth to occur, here you can get 6, 7, 8, even 9% net pre-tax returns, and then any capital growth becomes just a bonus or icing on the cake. And while capital growth profits can only be realized if you sell or refinance a property, rental returns are like a paycheck. They're money in the bank, so they're far more regular, far more stable than all of those speculative capital growth plays. Last, but certainly not least, one of the biggest, if not the biggest attraction of Japan's property market is the Japanese people themselves. As we 
slightly touched upon earlier, the Japanese are very strict and proper in everything that they do. And this applies to tenants and professional services companies as well. Japanese tenants are docile as hell. They would never damage a rental property intentionally, very rarely by accident. They'd never have a, a drug lab in the property or invite friends and families to bunk in with them illegally. They almost always pay on time. They tend to stand, stay very long time in one place. The average for studio and one-bedroom units, meaning singles properties, is about four and a half years in most places. Families stay even longer than that, so that 10, 15, even 20-year tenancies are not uncommon here at all. Uh, there's almost no need for forced evictions. If a tenant has payment issues, they'll most likely leave of their own accord. And even if you do have to kick them out, this usually amounts to just sending them a letter asking them to vacate the premises, and that's it, they're gone. The same sort of mentality applies to all entities that you'll need to deal with here on a regular basis. So property managers, building management companies, banks, insurance companies, renovation, repair professionals, they're all as straight and as by the book as can be. So you very, very rarely, if ever, would have to resort to lawsuits, court appearances, or anything of that sort. Even if you do, by the way, since the country is highly regulated, you'll always have the legal recourse to fall back on. Okay, so much for the pros. Now, what are the cons? Well, the cons derive from the very same characteristics. The last four years, as we mentioned, have seen property price hikes in most major cities, but that's on the back of those two decades of deflation. Plus, Japan is one of the world's most rapidly shrinking populations, which makes reigniting healthy inflation, which the current prime minister has done with some success, all the more difficult. That translates, obviously, to property prices as well. So whether that price hike trend that we've been seeing will continue or not, and for how long it might continue, is anyone's guess. It's likely not to drop so much until the year 2020, when the Tokyo Olympic Games are scheduled to take place here. But after that, unless some massive immigration policy takes shape or people start having more babies for some reason, anything could happen. Another major turnoff is the fact that the Japanese are notoriously foreigner shy, to the point of panic. This means that while in most parts of the world you're going to have a host of English-speaking professionals to deal with, and then you have to sort and sift through them to find the reliable ones, here it's actually exactly the opposite. Almost everyone that you deal with is reliable and trustworthy, but the vast majority of them cannot communicate in English. They cannot send funds overseas, they cannot receive funds from overseas, they cannot provide documentation in English, and they're actually terrified of the idea of having to work with foreigners even if those foreigners speak Japanese so you will have to work hard to find someone who will actually agree to work with you. Lastly, and this applies mainly to houses and very small buildings, unless you're purchasing a unit in a reinforced concrete building or you're purchasing the entire building itself, it's quite likely that you're going to be buying a wooden based structure wood has been the prevailing building material for smaller structures here in Japan until recently. Naturally, wooden-based structures mean more frequent renovations, more frequent rebuilds, maintenance issues, etc. Now, there are, of course, ways around these issues, uh, which we'll go into in far more depth in the coming podcasts, but that at least should give you a rough idea of what the Japanese property investment market is all about in general. We do hope you enjoyed this first chapter of our podcast. Uh, do hit subscribe if you're listening to this on your YouTube channel or via an audio podcast program 
or simply visit our website, which is nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N, nippontradings, with an S, all one word, dot com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your questions, your requests for topics to cover in the comment section below, or through our contact form on the website itself. Till next time, happy investing!